Hey guys, welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regulars out there, you guys are phenomenal. Always coming back. I truly value that. Now, if you're a first-time listener, let me briefly tell you what the show's about. We love movies. We like to share movies with you. The studios, they send us interviews, movie clips, on-the-set footage, all those kind of things. We put it together to make one giant infomercial, present it to you, and you make up your own mind. I'm not here to yell at Hollywood, yell at actors, or complain, or anything like that. Leave that to the professionals. I just like to learn about movies and share it with you. Because any movie is somebody's favorite movie. Who am I to tell you not to see a movie? You and I, we, we've walked different paths. I can't tell you to like a movie or not to like a movie, whatever it is. That's the joy here. It's like a movie oasis, a place where you can just get away from the noisy world. Because we all have problems, the world has problems. But this is the place you come and just learn about a movie. You sit back, they talk to you. They say, this is what the movie's about, what do you think? And that's what I love about doing this show. Just giving you all the facts, all the information, because I love learning about movies. I learn so much from every episode, from a blockbuster, independent film, whatever kind of movie it is, I can sometimes glean so much from something. Maybe I wouldn't have wanted to see a movie, but then after I listen to it, I'm like, man, this sounds really good. That's what I hope this show does for everybody else. Just gets you aware and thinking and gets you away from the noise. Because we all want to spend our hard-earned money wisely. Because we all want the same thing, an enjoyable movie experience. Now, speaking of that, approaching the bench today, we have the latest from Steven Spielberg, The Fablemans. You know, you've probably heard about this movie. It's a rough, you know, kind of interpretation of him growing up and his experiences with his mom and his dad and his sisters, him growing up, dealing with so many issues and how that affected his life and how it impacted his filmmaking. It's an incredible, honest, open movie that... It took him a lot of years to get to this point where he could do it, but it's just so worth it. He could get behind the mind of this, you know, film genius. I know people throw around that word and all that other jazz, but when he makes a film, you know it's Steven Spielberg, and that's when you know somebody is just just an icon. You could just see by a single frame that it's that director, and that's what Steven Spielberg does. He just creates a fabric that you just immerses you into it. And it's just incredible. And now with that immersion, we get to immerse into his life. I don't know if immerse is the right word or even a real word. I don't care. But you just get to see him growing up and then, wow, and this is where it got him. Now, all that being said, guys, here's a trailer for The Fablemans. Movies are dreams. you never forget Sammy The lights change how everything looks It's hard to find our house Ours is the dark house with no lights In this family, it's the scientists versus the artists. Sammy's on my team, takes after me. What kind of movie are we gonna make? You dismiss what he does, it's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been a concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey! Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. 
always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. was your favorite part now let me tell you the story of the fable moments well not the story but the the tagline now growing up in the post-world war ii era in arizona young sammy aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence but soon he discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of the films can help him see the truth now coming up first we're going to hear from the director, Steven Spielberg. And he's going to talk about, as a filmmaker, almost everybody who does something, parts of your life, you know, are put into the movie. And it's just really kind of cool him talking about that. No matter what you do, your life will be projected on that celluloid. And then after that, we're going to hear from his co-writer, Tony Kushner. And he goes into the name, The Fablemans, the meaning behind it, how they came about it. And they, he realized at one point he couldn't call it young Steven Spielberg or anything like that because he needed that little bit of separation between him and his real life. But yet, as he kept making the movie, he would be able to more easily inject his story into there, but without the title, you know, hovering over him, Spielberg. So first Spielberg and then co-author Tony Kushner. I think everything that a filmmaker uh, puts him or herself into, uh, even if it's somebody else's script and you're just picking the shots and directing the actors, you, your life is going to come spilling out onto celluloid, whether you like it or not. It just happens to all of us. Uh, but in the sense of the Fablemans, uh, uh, it wasn't about metaphor. It was about memory. I came up with the name Fablemans because I, I said, we can't call it, it's not going to be Steven, little Steven Spielberg and Arnold and Lee, it has to be to give them other names. And, uh, you know, Spielberg in German means play mountain. And in German, der Fabel is the outline that you make of a play, and it's a fiction for the form of entertainment. And then I said, okay, what are we going to call these people? And he said, Sammy. And most of the first names were Stevens. I love hearing that kind of story. How do you come up with these names, even though they're based on you, how do you do it, and how do you get that separation? It's just so cool how they came about that. Now, coming up next, we're going to kind of do the same thing. Steven Spielberg will be first, and then the writer, Tony Kushner. First, we're going to hear from Spielberg, and this is a really cool interview. He talks about he couldn't have done this without Tony because they've had such a connection in the past. They've worked together. He has that trust. He couldn't just do it with some, you know, uh, some random person off the road. He really had to feel it because I can't even imagine directing your own life in front of you, having that feeling of reenacting these images and you're, you're putting it out there for the whole world to see. There's so much vulnerability in that and you really have to trust your co-writer in saying, what do I want to put out there? Because obviously he's not going to put everything out there. That's impossible because A, we can't remember everything and maybe some things are just too sensitive or private to share, but sharing enough so we could get in, into his mindset. And I, that must have been an incredible struggle, but having somebody like Tony he could work with must have put his mind at incredible ease. And then after that, we're going to hear from Tony, and he's going to be talking like from a world premiere, so you're going to hear some lot of background, background noise. But he's just talking about how lucky he is to be working with Spielberg. And that's what's so cool about him, too. He's not just like, yeah, so I'm, I'm writing with Spielberg. This guy's like, honestly, still to this day, happy that he's working with him because he realizes how visionary Spielberg is and he doesn't take it lightly or for granted. Here they are. I would not have been able to co-author this film without somebody I truly, dearly admired and adored and uh, knew me so well and uh, who I so loved and respected. And that happened to be Tony Kushner. And just because he won a Pulitzer Prize and the Tony Award, but nominated several times for Academy Awards, 
for me, it, it, you know, that wasn't a criteria. The only thing that mattered to me was I could open it up to somebody and I could, I could, I could, I could basically empty all of my, unpack all of my suitcases in front of somebody and I would never feel embarrassed or ashamed and could actually go down a very personal road. And that's why I, I asked if Tony would co-author this with me. I can't believe my luck. Um, I, I, you know, I think he's, uh, it goes without saying, he's an artist whose work is absolutely going to endure. And, uh, and I've been able to be a part of, you know, four movies in his body of work. And I think they're four pretty wonderful films. Um, so it just feels like, you know, one of the great joys and privileges of my life. And, you know, um, I am as proud of the work I've done with him as I am of anything I've done as a playwright or, you know, uh, I think as anything I'm likely to do. And I, I hope we're going to continue. We, we're, we're talking about what we're going to do next. Now, from another red carpet, we're going to hear from Steven Spielberg. And he's going to talk about what we talked about briefly just a little bit ago, about being vulnerable, about putting yourself out there because he's a very private man. And he, just, he, he talks about that a little bit. And then we're going to go back to the writer, Tony Kushner, and he's going to talk about his conversations he's had with Spielberg, talk about what was your first movie you saw. And then they talk about that. And he also explains how that's in the movie, that whole experience, because that whole experience changed pretty much his whole life, watching that movie and then how he dealt with that. But more specifically, as you'll hear later on, how his mother and father explained it to him or talked to him about it how different they were, but together, how they made him who he is. But it's just fun to hear the dynamics of different parents and how they see things and try to help their kid out. And then after Kushner, we're going to go back to Steven Spielberg. And he's going to talk about how his relationship, he wanted it to be with his actors. He really wanted to have that separation about dealing with them. And it's just really cool to hear his, his philosophy about wanting to work with his people. But then, right after that, we're going to go into a featurette. Now, in this featurette, you're going to hear interviews with Spielberg and cast members and almost everybody. Because within these little featurettes, they have inter- they intersplice clips from the movie, on the set footage, to make just a little like kind of mini-movie talking about this movie. And that's what happens there. So when you hear them talking, that's what's going on. And just a side note, in some of these little featurettes that I play for you, they have slivers of interviews you've maybe already heard or parts of those interviews and or little interviews in the, in the, you know, later on in the episode here, but they're sliced up just to kind of fit it into this little boom featurette talking about it. So that's what's going to happen. I think I'm always vulnerable <laughs> in terms of the movies I've made, the, uh, but this is a very personal story. It's the first time I've taken uh, privacy public, and I've never done that. I'm, you don't see me doing that a lot in my life. And this was a story that I thought had some merit about my mom and my dad and my sisters in formative years growing up in three states. And uh, Tony Kushner kind of prodded me years ago into starting to really take these stories I was telling him a little more seriously. So we started working together about three years ago. And, uh, and now we're going to introduce people to the, a family called the Fablemans. I said to Stephen at one point, what was the first movie you remember? He said, that's easy, greatest show on earth. And I said, what did you remember most about it? He said, oh, no question, the train wreck. And then at one point I said, you know, when did you first get a camera in your hands? And he told me the story that you see at the beginning of the movie. And I thought, well, this is, un- again, unbelievable. I wanted to have that kind of doctor-patient relationship with my cast, but it was hard to do it because the story kept tugging me back to actual memories and recreating things that had actually happened to me and seeing them unspool in front of me. It was a wicked, weird experience, I have to tell you. It was just like nothing I have ever gone through before. And ultimately, it was a very good experience. It was really a great thing to have gone through. And I'm happy I did. Most of my movies have been a reflection of things that happened to me. Movies are dreams that you never forget. And this story kept tugging me back to actual memories and seeing them unspool in front of me. It was just like nothing I have ever gone through before. 
And ultimately, it was a very good experience. So soon, two years after my father passed away and five years after my mom died. In this family, it's the scientists versus the artists. Sammy's on my team, takes after me. Stephen said it's about his childhood, how he grew up and his memories of his parents and his sisters spent playing in deep imagination. What kind of movie are we going to make? You dismiss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. We wanted to make a movie that reflected a human experience that's familiar and something that would say something about life. I wanted people to see their own families inside the story. Because this story is about family. It's about parents. It's about siblings. It's about bullying. It's about the good and bad things that happen when you're growing up in a family that stays together until they're no longer together. You always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! In this film, he is letting you into how he sees the world, which is cinematic and wondrous. But ultimately, the film goes beyond Steven, where there's something in it for anyone who's had a family, for anyone who's loved the movies, for anybody who's dared to dream big. Family art. It'll tear you in two. And he would show up on set, see us in our wardrobes, and you could see it just hit something in his brain and he would just start crying. You stop making movies, that'll break your mother's heart. And it really emphasized how personal it was and how special it was to him and how vulnerable he was in a lot of ways. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? If this was any film, it would have been a very impactful learning experience for me. But the fact that it was a Steven Spielberg film and the fact that it meant even more to him than it did myself, I'm very grateful to be a part of that. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. I cannot even imagine going through my career without having told this story. This movie for me was like a time machine in the sense that The Fablemans wasn't about metaphor, it was about memory. What was your favorite part? Now, like I said, that has so many cool scenes, clips, and everything involved. At the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a website in case you want to watch the TV version of this. Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from Paul Dano and Michelle Williams. They play the parents in this film. And first, Paul Dano, who plays the father, he talks about how his character is more, he's all science. And after they see that movie, what we talked about earlier, he starts explaining how the camera works, thinking... That will help it. I'll, I'll fix this. I'm a technical guy. I got this. And then we're going to hear from Michelle Williams. And then she talks, too, about the balance between these two parents. The first scene of the film uh, is uh, Bert and Mitzi Fableman taking their kid, Sammy, to the movies. His first movie. And he's scared. And his father's way of dealing with that is to explain to him how a film camera works, explain to him how a projector works. And um, as, as if a child would then be able to sort of rationalize that and go, ah, I see it's only images flickering. They're still images. It's not real. They're actually not even moving themselves. And, and finally, Mitzi uh, sort of cuts him off and says, they're wonderful dreams. <laughs> and you'll never forget them. And she gives it this sort of big, positive, dreamy, artful. Um, and yes, you absolutely see, I think, Stephen. I think you see both parts of Stephen in his parents because he's obviously such, um, uh, he's an incredible technician, but such uh, an intuitive, emotional, um, dreamy artist himself. Yeah, they're really like the two halves of Stephen, you know, the, the, the way that this married couple sort of balanced each other out and gave room for the other to fully express themselves. And you see that, you know, in their son, the way that they sort of commingled, like that's a sort of, that is Stephen. Now, could you imagine trying to cast a movie that you're making and you got to find people that look like your parents? Because, you know, this is going to be very personal. So up next, we're going to hear from Steven Spielberg. Briefly touching on that, the most important part of this movie was trying to find the parents, but then the realization Michelle Williams was just perfect for it. And then we're going to go to one of the producers of this film, Christy Krager, and I love what she says in this interview. She talks about just how Michelle Williams just morphed into the character, and she was just like a 
hungry, just hungry for knowledge. She was wanted every film clip she could, audio, you name it. And it's so cool to hear from a producer saying that, wow, this person wants everything. She really wants to do the best she can because this is a huge responsibility trying to capture somebody's essence without, you know, without doing a parody, but still trying to find that quality. Check it out. It's really cool. The most challenging part was finding the cast that best represents my family. There's nothing more personal than that in casting your own family. And uh, I, I, I didn't have to look very far. I felt in my heart for a long time that Michelle Williams was very representative of my experience uh, with my own mom. She just sort of morphed into Mitzi. And when she showed up on set for the first day of shooting, which was the scene where they are watching Escape to Nowhere, they were all sitting in the audience, Michelle, Paul, and Seth you just knew there was nobody else that could have played the role of Mitzi than Michelle Williams. She just embodied everything about her. She does a lot of research. She asked very early on, she said to Stephen, I need everything I can get my hands on that reminds me of your mother. I, I would like to have videos. I'd love to have photographs. I'd love to have voice recordings, um, movies that she loved, songs that she loved, music that she loved to play, anything that can make me feel more and more like your mother. And so we had dedicated iPads that we gave to her and Paul so that they could reference and research and, you know, immerse themselves into playing these characters. Now, speaking of morphing, Michelle Williams is up next, and she's going to talk about when she was trying to get into the character, even on set, she would play a tape of the, his real mother laughing, and it was just how much joy she was, and what you know, it's just really cool to hear her so passionate about this role, and how she you know, approached any scene. Then after that, we're going to go into a clip. Now, in that clip, we have Michelle Williams with the younger version of of Sammy after they saw that movie where the train crash happened. And what we talked about earlier, how the father was technical and the mother was more art orientated in this scene. She's saying to the son, you're going to use this camera to shoot your toy train. And then you can watch it over and over again. And then I'll be, you know, you'll, you'll deal with it better that way. And it's just such a well-crafted scene. It just, you just look at her and you'll think, what a perfect mother. One of my favorite things to do was to listen to her laugh. Uh, it was one of the ways, one of my kind of touchstones that I would use to sort of like right before we would shoot. I mean, I had so many beautiful home movies of her and like s just so much footage that was so dear to me that I just watched over and over and over again. But kind of like a shortcut for me was, was her laughter. And it was this like looped tape of her laughing at different ages in her life, different moments in her life. And I would go to it even before scenes that uh, that didn't encapsulate, didn't, didn't, didn't where where she wasn't laughing or where that wasn't a part of it. It still was so much her essence, like the desire to laugh. Like she just felt like somebody who was about to break out into, who wanted to break out into a smile at any moment. And there was just so much, like she was just f so full of uh, of life. And the way that she laughed, the way that she gave herself over to her laugh, that really kind of summed her up for me. Sammy? We're going to use Daddy's camera to film it. Only crash the train once, okay? Then after we get the film developed, you can watch it crash over and over till it's not so scary anymore. And your real train won't ever get broken. One more thing, Dolly. Let's not tell your father. It'll be our secret movie, just yours and mine. Okay? Okay. See what I mean? Just a tight scene. Just like, perfect mom, right there. Here you go, honey. Let's do this. Anyway, I love that scene. Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from Steven Spielberg. Now, picture this. You've been planning to make this movie. First day on the set, you're like, okay, I'm under control. I, I got this. I'm I'm a director. I'm a, I'm a pro. And then up walks Michelle Williams and Paul Dano 
both in replicas exactly of his parents. And I love this interview because he talks about he looked at him and then everything goes slow motion. And he was like, oh my goodness, I, all I saw was my parents. It's a completely cool interview. It's honest. And it must have been just amazing. And then after that interview, we're going to talk to Paul Dano, who plays the father. And in that interview, he talks about that moment when he sees Spielberg vulnerable and sees the emotion involved and how much that helped him as an actor. And then we're going to have a clip. And in that clip, we have Paul Dano, who plays the father, talking to young Sammy. And he wants him to shoot a different kind of short film. He wants to say, "This would, I, I want you to shoot this for your mom because she's, she's kind of upset right now. But then Sammy's like, but wait a minute, I'm shooting my, my movie tomorrow and I have 40 people coming over here. And you see this dynamic, this little you know, duel of them, you know, trying to find balance and strength and, you know, get control. Cause it's cool that, Hey, dad wants me to make stuff. Now I can make stuff, make movies, but now he's telling me I have to do what he wants to do. Even though he already knows I have something else planned. It just, you see the dynamics between the father, son in this scene. And then like the scene earlier with between the mother and the son, Michelle Williams walked in uh, uh, in, in clothes that my mom, exact replicas of clothes my mom had worn, uh, her favorite clothes. And Paul walked in looking just like my dad. And I turned around and I looked at Paul and Michelle together. And it, it, it was kind of a an out-of-body moment. There was a moment, a little moment where everything sort of went into slow motion like a car accident. And I just looked at them together. And I didn't see Michelle, and I didn't see Paul. I, I saw Lee, Lee and Arnold. I saw my mom and my dad, and I, and I had a, I, I kind of lost it. So everything that I said I was not going to do on the first day of shooting happened to me. And bless their hearts, they both walked up to me and they both embraced me. So we were in a three-way hug, and um, it was that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. It was um, pretty uh, incredible to see. Um, uh, Stephen looking back at his life and uh, yeah, tears streaming down his face, right? Well, well um, which uh, that sort of openness and vulnerability, you know, it, it goes to everybody on the soundstage. So um, it certainly actually helped me, you know, to 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 see him, to look at his face and his eyes and see his story in him and then try to, you know, take that. Um, uh, it, it just sort of it raises the, the, the stakes almost or something in, 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 a, in a wonderful way. Having the access to Stephen's personal stuff, um, family photographs, home movies, voice recordings um yeah that was a treasure trove for for me as an actor um and uh sort of remarkable to have uh, that sort of intimate relationship with with somebody like steven i want you to make a camping trip movie uh, you can learn how the editing machine works while you do this it'll make your mom feel better yeah that last night when she danced in the headlights that'd be great Get to it tomorrow, okay? Um, tomorrow's when we start shooting. <laughs> Escape to nowhere. We're shooting all weekend. Shooting Dad, next weekend. We got like forty guys coming to be in the movie. I'll, I'll work on all the camping trips on Monday. I'm asking you to do this now for your mom. Yeah, She's... and I said that I will, just not tomorrow. Don't be selfish. She just lost her mother. That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? It'll cheer her up watching this. It's something we can her do. Her mom to just died. How is that going to cheer her up? Because you made it for her. This movie is about family. And that being said, Paul Dano's up next, and he talks about that. While it's, why it's called the Fablemans, not the Spielbergs. Because this is can be any family, because most of us 
have had some kind of relationship with some kind of family members. So on some level, he tries to make this so we all can relate to it. And then he also talks about how he felt when he first saw the movie, about just all the emotions, the humor, everything involved. It's just, it is fun to hear him talk about that. We're talking a lot about how personal this is for Stephen and and his life and and uh, but I think ultimately you, the reason that it's the Fablemans is because it could be anybody's family, right? And 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 uh, we've all had a relationship with one of our parents or our parents did or our sister. The film goes beyond Stephen. There's something in it for 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 anyone who's had a family. For anyone who's loved the movies, um, for anybody who's like dared to dream, you know, and dream big and and had a passion. What surprised me about watching the film was how inspiring it was. To see the amount of joy, uh, the sense of humor in it, and how inspired it left me, you know, later that day and that night, uh, the way the film ends. That surprised me, and that that made me feel really good because I think, um, you know, that's a wonderful thing to to give to an audience. Gabriel LaBelle is up next, who plays Sammy. You're going to hear him talk about how just overjoyed he was in getting this role. And then after that, we're going to go to Steven Spielberg talking about casting Gabriel. And he really had to find somebody who had his curiosity because he's realized in his whole career, he's made so many different movies because of his curiosity. And when he met Gabriel, that's what he knew he had. And it was just going, okay, this is the kid. And then right after that, we're going to go back to Gabriel, and he's going to talk about his discussion with Spielberg going, okay, I'm not supposed to mimic him. I have to find my own way. And how Spielberg allowed him to say, you find your own path. There was a lot of joy. It was always there, amongst a lot of other things. But... It's just an incredible story, and, and I was just lucky to have a callback with Steven on the same Zoom. After that, I was like, I didn't need any more, but I got to do this, and now I'm here, so everything's amazing. I looked for several things. I looked for somebody who was really much more handsome than me, and somebody that the girls would probably fall for more than they fell for me, and, and I cast somebody who had insatiable curiosity, which I know I've always possessed, and as a person... Gabe has insatiable curiosity. And that was, when I started meeting him on Zoom calls, that was the thing that I really connected with him about, was how many questions he asks and how he questions everything and how he's open uh, to to basically receive and, and accept any answer because he's curious. And that was the one thing I knew about myself consistently in my entire life. I'm curious about so many things, which is why I make so many different kinds of movies and not just the same kind of movie over and over again, because my curiosity throws me into genres that I never imagined I would ever do. And now I'm suddenly doing a genre I've never done before. And, uh, and, and, and he's that way. He was pretty clear that he didn't want it to be like mimicking him. You know, almost the story speaks for itself. So he, he let me, he let me do a lot of it on my own. Um, and though I didn't, you know, act as if I was him, I mean, there are a few things that I wanted to, to, to grab just of like his posture and his smile. And they sent me some videos of, of him and his parents' home movies, the old Escape to Nowhere film. I knew that I wouldn't try to like recreate that a hundred percent, but I wanted to get an energy. Now, this movie has a lot of stuff going on, not just the relationship between the child and the parents, but then there's another little wrinkle, and that character is Benny, played by Seth Rogen. And in his character, he's a co-worker with the, with the father, and he's really close to the family. He's entrenched himself, like he says, into their almost day-to-day life. But then here's the problem. Benny and Mitzi fall in love. So that creates a little bit of a problem. And then after that interview, we're going to go to Gabriel LaBelle, who plays Sammy, and he's going to talk about that whole dynamic, about all the kids and then what he might know. I play 
in the film. Uncle Benny is what he's called. He's uh, introduced as Paul Dano's uh, character, uh, Bert's um, best friend um, and co-worker. Um, I help, uh, I'm on his team of uh, computer builders, uh, essentially. Um, and I've kind of uh, like entrenched myself in their family. Um, I, I seem very comfortable there. I seem uh, like I've made myself at home. Um, and I have a very deep, uh, meaningful connection with this, uh, with the entire family, with the kids, with the siblings, the brothers and the sisters. And, um, and slowly it is revealed that, yeah, that, that, that me, uh, and that my character and, um, you know, Mitzi, uh, 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 Sammy's mother, um, are in love with each other. Um, and, and all the complications that go along with that. There's, Myself, Sammy, and I have three younger si uh, sisters. And then you have Michelle, my mom, Paul, my dad. And Seth is Paul's best friend, but we call him an uncle because he's around all the time. He goes on camping trips with us. Seth's character, Benny, and Michelle's character, Mitzi, they're in love with each other. And I, Sammy, discover that and... um there's a burden of, of holding that secret to me because I can't tell my sisters and I have to protect them and I can't tell my mom because it would destroy her. I can't tell my dad because it would break us up. And so there's a lot of pent-up emotions about that. Now, Seth Rogen, in essence, plays the other guy, the homewrecker. But can you imagine, on set, you're with Steven Spielberg and you are playing that guy that he has memories of of what happened during childhood. And then Seth Rogen has to interview him. Well, doesn't have to interview him, but being the good actor that he is, he wants to get every nuance he can about the character he's playing, Benny. And he had to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations. And in my mind, I can't even imagine trying to talk to somebody on that level or even anybody about the situation that he lived as a kid when it was a little, little bit traumatic. But here you are, an actor... And the great Steven Spielberg, you have to try to keep going and try to get more little tidbits from him without ticking him off. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, how about this? How about that? And not always knowing that you're kind of getting under his skin. And then later on in the interview, he talks about the accessibility of information from Spielberg because it is called the Fablemans. And like we talked earlier, there's that itsy bitsy bit of space between that and your name. So you can just kind of see it as an outside character. And he talks about when they're shooting, he's like, oh, 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 he made movements like this or he did that. So I, I, I probably, like I think most people think, it's probably a good thing they named it the Fablemans, just so everybody involved could treat it as if it was just somebody else. I asked him a lot of questions about the real, uh, about the real Bernie, um, about the dynamics. I tried to get, as much information as I could. They were sensitive conversations because I was essentially asking him about how specifically far he thought, you know, these kind of indiscretions were going uh, in an emotional way, in a physical way. And they were uh, uncomfortable conversations at times, honestly, and, and, and things that he didn't seem to particularly want to talk about. But then on, often he would kind of break through and then... Uh, a whole new kind of page would, would would be revealed, and and often as we were filming things, he would run over and be like, "Oh, you know, uh, Bernie would do this all the time. Like, let's get another take where you're doing this." And it was almost like, in real time, he was remembering things and, and putting them in the movie. And and I almost think when he started, maybe he thought it wasn't going to be quite as representative as of his life as as he found himself uh, being willing to make it as we were doing it. It is called the Fablemans, but at no moment while we were making the movie, did it seem as though he was trying to differentiate uh, between this family and his own? Like, I think if the movie was called The Spielbergs, it would just be a lot less accessible. And I think um, that's kind of what's brilliant about calling it The Fablemans, is it it allows you to project yourself and your family uh, in the place of this family in a way that I think if it was called the Spielbergs, you wouldn't be able to. It would keep you slightly more at arm's length. Now, coming up next, we're going to play another clip for you. Now, in this scene, we have Seth Rogen, who plays Benny. He's talking to young Sammy. 
and they're having this little discussion. They're not saying certain things, but they are saying certain things. They're out on the sidewalk, and Benny's just trying to say, you know, the, what's happening here in the future, your dad getting a different job, probably having to move. It's a good thing, big picture, and you have to keep making movies because if not, it's just going to break your mother's heart. IBM? That's where guys like Bert are figuring out how to use what he's made to... They're going to change the whole goddamn world, so this was the right decision. For all sorts of reasons. Yeah, so I'm happy for you. You know I am. But I'm going to miss you. All of you, a lot. You think whatever bad things you want about me, kiddo, but you stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. You will break her heart, I mean it. She doesn't deserve that, not from anybody, least of all from you. Now coming up, we have two interviews that talk about the same concept. About some of us experience this at different ages. When you come to realize your mom and dad are people too. It's kind of like a side, side, side note. I, I look at it like this. A lot of times when we're kids, we go to school and we see our teacher. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, we might see him at the grocery store. And you're thinking, why are you here? Don't you live at the school? And you might see them with their spouse or significant other or whatever it is. And you start realizing, oh... They're people too. And it kind of happens with us and our parents. Because growing up, they're just your mom and dad. But they're people too, but you don't see that when you're a kid. So in these interviews, you're going to hear Seth Rogen talk about that. And also Steven Spielberg about the whole reason behind writing this is because there was that situation where he had that problem with his mom. He discovered something. And all of a sudden, that light went on. Oh, she's a person too. I think we all go through that. It's about family. I think if you have a family, um, it's an interesting story. And if your family is complicated, (laughs) as most are, then it's an interesting story. And it's about, to me, that uh, that's what's interesting about it. It's about navigating your family and getting to know your own family and how the humanization of your parents especially is kind of a... A, a, a tragic yet beautiful thing that happens to a lot of us. Um, and I think that's something that almost everyone experiences in some way. And one of the reasons I r- wrote this story is because at a very young age, something had happened in my life, which is reflected in our film, but something happened in my life between myself and my mother, where I stopped perceiving my mother as a parent and began looking upon her as a person. And and I think all kids at a certain point in their lives, uh, if they if if they if they grow up in a in a in a communicative relationship with their parents, and they they themselves have kids, there there are moments where they realize, hey, my parents have been people all all this time, and I never I never knew it until now. And maybe the kid is forty, and the parents are sixty five, uh, when that when that epiphany occurs. I had that epiphany when I was sixteen years old, and um, and so I've never looked at any of the uh, the people in my story as enemies. Chrissy Krager is up next, the producer, and she talks about when she first read the script and she just shut it and realized everybody can relate to the story. And then we're going to go to a clip. Now, in this clip, Sammy, he's in this girl's bedroom and she has all these posters on the wall. And right in the middle, there's a picture, picture of Jesus and he's like, oh, that's a lot of pictures of a lot of guys. Oh, yeah. And then they kind of walk towards the bed a little bit. And right at the top of her bed, there's like a giant cross. And he's like, well, not Jesus. Oh, yes, he is. He's very handsome. <laughs> that conversation. I can't even imagine having that conversation with somebody. He's like, well, isn't that a sin? And it's just it's just a hilarious little scene that she has all these posters, this giant cross on the wall, and thinking, Oh, yeah, he could have come back as anybody, but he was a young, hot guy. When I read it the first time, I was like, this is going to be the most personal story Stephen's ever done. This is all about Stephen. And I closed it, and I was like, this is a story that every single person can relate to. And I knew at that moment that 
we were making the movie. I didn't know exactly when. And we ended up making it like four or five months after that first script was handed to me. It's a lot. Uh-huh. It's sort of a shrine, almost. Shrine to guys. Lots of guys. They're sexy. I guess. I mean, not Jesus. Jesus is sexy. Isn't that like a sin or something? <laughs> I don't know. He came to us as a man. A handsome young man. He could have come as a girl or an old man or someone with leprosy, but... Well, nobody knows what he really looked like. Probably he looked like you. Oh, because because he was... Jewish. My handsome Jewish boy. Just like you. Now, this is the coming-of-age story, and that's what Steven Spielberg talks about next. He says he didn't plan to write a comedy, drama, or anything like that. Just things that happen to almost everybody. Things that might be funny later in life, and all that stuff. But it was just a story about life. And then, speaking of that, at the end of the interview, he talks about when he grew up, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. And it was just, that's how it was. And this movie talks about that, about what he dealt with. And in his opinion of that now, about the school and everything like that. And that must be such a, I can't even imagine growing up and being treated like that from you know, all so many people are discriminated against, and it just it saddens me. I mean, obviously everybody's you know, I'm I'm just I'm not saying anything new here, but it's just like, come on, people, why, why, why would you think poorly of somebody who's not exactly like you? I, why do you want everybody exactly like you or this, that, or the other? That's just madness. But when you're you know weak in the head, obviously. You're scared of other people. So what do you do? You attack them. You beat them down because you're insecure and you're small-minded. That's what happens when people hate because they're afraid. That's what it comes down to. They're just these sad, afraid people. And then they take it out on somebody who's walking their own path. It's like, well, I can't have that. They're not exactly like me. How dare you? And so he talks about that. And then after that interview... There's a little featurette, and in that featurette, there there's a whole bunch of stuff like on the set footage, and but what it really comes down to is Steven Spielberg is toasting the last shot of the film at the, at the end of most of his movies. He talks about in this, he just gets together before that final shot, and he just gives everybody a giant toast. It's just really kind of cool to think about that, or and you get to see it, or in this case, hear it, but hear about that moment right before the final shot. Tony and I didn't set about to make a comedy, but, you know, life is full of things that are ridiculous and silly and hysterically funny and abstract and existential and and, and also very sad and tra traumatizing. And it's just what all of us go through as we go through our formative years. And I simply wanted this to be a coming-of-age story that, that takes that basically takes stock in the stuff that happens to us that we wish never happened and the stuff that happens to us which we look back on and laugh hysterically because we it, it wasn't funny at the time. But uh, in looking back, it was pretty funny. The aspects of my my Jewish existence is just, it's it's part of the DNA. It, it just goes goes without much comment. It just, that's how we grew up. The bullying is just a, a it's, it doesn't define me and it doesn't define my life, but it certainly is something that happened to me. Very little in Arizona, but more so in California, in Northern California. The school bears no weight of culpability or responsibility at all, but I wanted to tell that story because it did result in a lot of my own awareness of anti-Semitism, which led to other films about anti-Semitism that I've made in my life. So everybody, as tradition holds, on every film, I don't even remember when this started with my pictures, but we started doing toast before we shoot the first shot, and we always do a toast just before the last shot. I have been dreading this day for 59 shooting days. I did not want this to end. 
I still do not want it to end. I have had the time of my life, literally, because this is a time of my life. And I have felt completely embraced and supported by all of you who knew what this film meant to myself and to Tony. We sat down October 2nd, 2020, and commenced writing the script after a 80, 90 page treatment. And then I called Christy up and I said, how soon can we make this movie? And Christy said what she always says, how soon do you want to make this movie? And I said, well, as soon as it's safe and as soon as we can get an enormously appropriate cast. And so to the last shot, Lahayim. I just love that little sequence there. In that sequence, you, you hear what he's saying, but what's happening is they're showing clips of them on the set throughout the production, and he's toasting the crew. So they cut back and forth between him toasting the crew and then cutting back through their shooting process. The guy has so much passion. He loves his films. He loves his actors. And it's just wonderful to hear him talk about that to them. That from, you know, he forget, you know, he forgot which um, a movie started on, but him just toasting everybody at the very last shot. It just says so much to me. Everything this guy has done is so good. And there's little elements that tie in from his life that he puts into his movies. You know, I realize every probably writer and director does that, but it's really cool to hear from him because he's a very private man. And now we were finally, like, he opened that door just a crack and we got to see inside his life, his growing up and what he went through to become the director he is. Because in his shots, you can almost live in those shots. They're so perfect, but they almost have a texture to them. And I don't know really how to explain this very well, but you who've seen these movies, watched his movies from the very beginning, he, he can just make a shot, hold it, make you feel part of it. The guy has this magical power to make the film just have a texture. I, I don't even know the better word for it, but you feel just pulled in, part of it, just this little comf- comfortable little celluloid hug watching his films because they're so real and just come from a place of heart. I, I don't even know how to explain it. But when you watch a Spielberg film, you know what I'm talking about. Even if I can't even express it, you get it. Now, this show and several other shows are on demand. So the stuff you heard there where they show scenes and all that other stuff and all the other scenes that you heard today and the other featurettes, you can watch those if you go to Bloomington, Minnesota's webpage or go to bit, as in bit, dot ly slash cinema judge. And you'll find this show on demand and several others. So if you're interested in that, give it a go. Or I'm on YouTube, I'm Instagram. Feel free to stop in. Let me know what I'm doing right. I would love to hear from you. Any feedback is helpful. It's so awesome hearing from you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. Learning about his whole past and his, his whole way to get here. And there's so much more, I'm sure. But I had a blast making this episode getting behind-the-scenes look at what made him who he is today. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, let me know. Cinemajudge at Hotmail.com Because I can't fix what I don't know it's broken. I can't grow if I don't know. <laughs> you know what time it is now, guys. I love this part of the show. This is for you all around the world. I hope my voice finds you well. For all you listeners driving to work, sitting at work, sitting at home, whatever you're doing. Because I know some of you, you might listen to this the day after it drops. Or it might be two weeks, three months, who knows, it might be years from now. I just appreciate you stopping on in. So wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. And just one more thing, if you're a first-time listener... This is where I give shout-outs to everybody listening to the last episode. Because I know a lot of you listen to Back Catalog, and I just love that. I eat that up. But you might say, well, why didn't he mention me? I listened to an episode, you know, several times ago. This is for the last episode, because seeing that other stuff is impossible to try to figure out who, what, when, where, all that stuff. So all these shout-outs are from the week before. The United States. All my listeners in Canada, you guys are awesome. Same thing with Germany and Greece. Every one of you countries, 
I just bow my hat to you, tip my cap, whatever you want to say. You take time out of your life to listen to this show just to learn about a movie, whether it's a blockbuster or not. I am just, thank you so much. Minneapolis, Minnesota. All my listeners from New York, New York. That is so wonderful. Thanks for sharing, telling your friends, or maybe listening more than once. Whatever it is. Thanks so much, New York. Same same thing with St. Cloud, Minnesota. Cottage Grove, Minnesota. Los Angeles, California. St. Paul, Minnesota. Indianapolis, Indiana. Vancouver, British Columbia. You guys are so awesome. Same thing with Pasadena, California. Always loyal. I am so grateful. And again, just like with Littleton, Colorado. Always there. Is it Roselle Park, New Jersey? Thanks so much, New Jersey. Fairport, New York. Orchester, Mass. Holyoke, Mass. Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Tapelhonic, Virginia. Is that right, guys? Thanks, Virginia. Hamburg. You guys are incredible. And is it Heraklion Region Unit? Every one of you from all over the world, you guys make my day. You might listen to it and just, you know, be in passing going whatever. But when I see that and I see somebody listen to wherever you're from, I always do a happy dance. I don't care if I'm in my chair or wherever I'm at. I'm like, so sweet. Took time to listen to the show and I truly hope you enjoyed it. You guys are awesome. Thanks to all of you who come back. And if you're a new listener, I hope you keep coming back. But now it's the bourbon shout out. This week, it goes to Hazen and the entire crew at the Richfield, Minnesota, Jersey Mike's. The second I walked in there, just full of joy, helpful. The energy was just incredible. I had a blast. We talked movies. We talked TV. It was just a great experience. So Hazen, the whole crew, I truly tip my cap to you. You guys are awesome, and I will be back. So to you guys, cheers. But now it's the music section, guys. This is what I was listening to when I was making the TV version of this. Because when I'm making that, I'm in my happy place. I'm cranking tunes and editing this show. Two things I love almost more than anything. Movies and music. Put them together, and I'm in my happy place, like I just said. So I had had to play music that reflected that time or when I was younger. When, you know, Spielberg time, when everything's just great and you discover them and all the movies he's made. So I thought to myself, you know, I've had some exceptional memories growing up with Pink Floyd. So first I put on, of course, their classic, The Wall. And it just, that just brings me right back. I mean, the songs on that, driving around with my buddies, cranking the radio or our tape player. And it was just such great memories. I remember going to a concert with a girlfriend of mine. We were How we didn't get thrown out of that concert, I will never know. It, we were out of our minds. It was fun. We were just living in the moment. <laughs> and she was dressed to the nines. It was like, are you serious? This person's going to concert with me? Whoa. It was, it was a great moment, great concert. So I was like, well, Kate Floyd's a good place to start. So I did it at the wall. And then I moved on to Wish You Were Here. Again, an incredible album. And I just remember when I was younger, laying downstairs, I had headphones on, and I had this incredible lucid dream. I I could go on and on talking about it, but it's just, when I listened to that album, I had this memory of just laying there in the dark, headphones on, cranking Wish You Were Here. An incredible album. And then I moved on to Animals. Again, just uh, the guitar work on that and the lyrics, the the whole storyline on animals, exceptional. Then I moved on to Dark Side of the Moon, which of course is their other iconic, legendary, perfect album. And I, so I listened to that one and oh, just, just awesome. And then I went another direction because I still wasn't done yet. So I went to John Denver's greatest hits, Judge Me Not, but he's just that hopeful, lonely hippie, you know, he just so much joy in his songs. And then I moved on to ABBA's new album, Voyage, loaded with tunes. So I was, I was going all over the place when I was making the t- this version on the TV version, because I was just, you know, it was just feeling good. And then I finished off with the best of the Grateful Dead. And you can't go wrong with the dead. They have just oodles of songs. So I did the greatest hits and voila, I was able to finish the show. So that's what I was throwing down 
when I was making the TV version, which becomes this version. Well, my movie lovers, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge.